What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rose, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Dew Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome into another episode of Kentucky Daily, a daily podcast covering your University of Kentucky Wildcats. I'm Sean Smith, joined by Derek Terry. Derek, how are you? Doing well, Sean. Happy to be back at it. Yeah, uh, I think I'm almost in completely over COVID. I'm uh, free to leave the house on Friday for the first time in, what, 10 days? I'm starting to feel better, so uh, ready to get back at this. Kentucky plays Vanderbilt tonight, Derek. Uh, we do have some topics to get to from uh, the press conference yesterday with Davion Mintz. Uh, this is a game a month or so ago that Davion Mintz was the hero late in the game off that yep. hammer screen that they ran there in the corner and he drilled a three. And his importance to the program, Derek, it, it kind of grows with each week, doesn't it? It does. Uh, we were talking about that before we got on here. You know, he he was the guy who was interviewed yesterday in the press conference, and it's been a topic, I don't know, maybe a week or two now. It's really been out there that because of his graduate program, and he's uh, studying, I believe, kinesiology and some kind of health thing. I looked it up on his profile yesterday. But since it's a two-year program, there's some thought that, you know, Davion might want to come back. And I think we're going to dig into that. A little bit more later, but that was kind of the thing, Sean. I mean, it was a big win at the time. That was right after Mississippi State, right, I believe, or did they play Vandy? Yeah, they played them. Yeah, it was in between Florida. Florida. Yeah, so at that point, I mean, it was a huge win. Vanderbilt is certainly one of the worst teams in the SEC, but they play Kentucky tough. They've had a few games, really, that they've had a chance. Does this game scare you at all tonight? Yeah, it, it does. Just uh, this is a game where Kentucky never plays well in the first half. I don't know what it is about this series in recent years. How many times? What was the the note? Do you remember that from when they played at Rupp that Vandy has led? How many of the last eight matchups was it? Like five or six? It was. It yeah. was a high number that they've led. It was. Yeah. And I remember both games last year. Kentucky had to rally in the second half to win. They had to rally at home to win uh, this past this past month. So. I, to me, the biggest thing would be Kentucky needs to play 40 solid minutes. I'd like to see Kentucky go out tonight. They've been in Nashville since Sunday night. Uh, they're not coming home after this one, Derek. They're going straight to Knoxville to get ready for the game on Saturday. So this is kind of a Tennessee road trip for an entire week. Who would have, who would have ever thought a Kentucky basketball team would spend the entire week in the state of Tennessee and it not be the SEC tournament? Uh, but, yeah, it does scare me a little bit just because we've talked about this team trying to build some momentum to get ready for the SEC tournament. And if they look good tonight, I think you can kind of start to say, okay, maybe this is a team that a couple of weeks in that, when they get back to Nashville, they got a chance to kind of make a run. But if they if they look awful again tonight, then I think we kind of flip back to, uh, you know, how many days will they be in Nashville? This, this is an audition for me tonight. Yeah. You want to be playing well in Nashville because that's where you need to play well in a few weeks. 
I think you summed it up perfectly how I'm viewing this. I mean, I think it started with Auburn. that They picked up a win that game, and then you look, you got Vanderbilt. It's going to be tough to win in Knoxville against Tennessee. Uh, we've seen better Kentucky teams go down there and, and struggle to win games. So I think that's going to be a tough one to win, but then you close the season with A&M, Florida, and Ole Miss. And they already they crushed Florida, which I think Florida is, you know, you never know what kind of version you're going to get. They nearly beat Arkansas last night. But A&M should be a win in Rupp Arena. And I'm never going to – I don't care how bad Kentucky is. I'm never going to say that they go into a game against Ole Miss thinking they're going to lose. So, I mean, you can see a scenario here where they're winning, you know, five out of six to close the season best case. And um, if that's the case, I think they will have some momentum going into the SEC tournament at Bridgestone Arena. So that is how I'm viewing this game, though, and I agree with you. But Vanderbilt, I mean, Ken Palm's got it as a three-point win for Kentucky. And Vandy's had some close calls, of course, the game against Kentucky. The very next game they played against Mississippi State, they also lost by three. Um, they've beaten South Carolina, they've beaten Mississippi State, and they've had you know other close games against Auburn, Georgia, Florida. I mean, they've been in a lot of games. So I certainly am not chalking this up. You know, I, like I just said about Ole Miss, I'll never expect Kentucky to go down there and lose. But at the same time, with this team, I don't think you ever ride in with Penn either that you think a team's going to win. No, so you don't. Uh, <laughs> I, this is a big game. I agree with you because if they lose this game, I mean, you know, they, a loss is still a loss at this point. You're six and thirteen, so I mean, it is what it is. But it still kind of, feels like you shouldn't lose this game. Aren't you kind of wanting to see it be one of those impressive games though, like it was at Florida, where they just come out from start to finish and just kind of put somebody away and don't struggle? Because that, that, that's kind of what this team needs, in my opinion. Uh, Derek, they're ninth right now in the SEC standings, and just looking Arguably, at it though. They're only a couple of games away from fourth place. I mean, Tennessee's that, that, in fourth yeah. at seven and five. Kentucky's in ninth at five and seven. I mean, there, there's kind of there's time to climb, but you got to go on. They need to win every single game the rest of the way to be in contention for that four or five spot, which I think would go a long way towards their chances of winning the SEC tournament. But when you look at this thing. They're five and seven. The team ahead of them is Georgia, who they should have beaten. They had they had the game won in the final four minutes. Missouri at six and six. They had an opportunity to win that one in the final four minutes. And then you look at Tennessee at seven and five, who they should have beaten, had a double digit lead. And then you could even climb up to Arkansas at nine and four, second place, who they should have beaten. Yeah, they're they're not that far off. They've just been so bad that it just they put themselves in a position I never thought they'd be in. Even when they started one and six, I did not think they'd be ninth in the SEC this late in the season. I don't know if you did. I didn't think they'd well, be that bad. Certainly not. And then they started off three and zero in the league. <laughs> so that was the other thing. I mean, you know, they're they're two and seven since uh, they started off three and zero. I agree with you that I think the narrative gets a lot easier to spin. That you know they could have beaten Arkansas. They were right there against Tennessee had chances against Missouri. All those things are true. I think people feel better about it, like we were saying, if they close this year out strong. To me, that gives a lot more credence to that, that they really weren't that far off. Like, no one's going to argue that this is a great Kentucky team. We, we all know it's not. Um, that's pretty easily the worst team, actually, that Cal's had here. But at the same time, when you're talking about these terrible records, like first time they've been this bad in close to 100 years, things like that, if they close the season strong, I think it's easier to say, you know, I mean, if they had a few things bounce their way, it never would have got to this point where we viewed this team so poorly. And I think that's what those kids, that's what they have to play. Obviously, 
everything's going to be about the SEC tournament. But if they can somehow get into that top four, I'm still not going to be a believer that they can go down there and win all three and get to the tournament. But it's, it's obviously much more doable. I mean, I just, how many teams have gone through, Sean, and won four games in four days? Did Auburn do it a few years ago? I want to say they did on their final four run. Yes, I'm pretty I think sure. They got really they hot there and won four games in four days. I don't know Georgia <laughs> back in the tornado year. They that was you know a different SEC tournament setting back then, a fewer teams, but it's very rare. And um, while I don't think the SEC is you know it's certainly not a, a gauntlet this year, it, it's still not going to be easy if you have to go through a path that includes teams like Tennessee and Alabama. I mean, you, you don't want to play those teams yeah. in the semis or things like that, or even worse, even earlier in the tournament. If they win both games this week. If they beat Vandy and they beat Tennessee and Knoxville, I think there's a chance they get to the fourth spot. Yeah. I, I really do. You can actually start to see a path that they can do it, but I still think it's very unlikely that they went out. I think the Ole Miss game at the end of the year just continues to look tougher than what I thought it was going to be, considering that Ole Miss is playing well right now. Uh, Ole Miss is actually 8-3 and three at home on the season. They've won four straight. I mean, they're, they're definitely turning in the right direction, but... Kentucky's going to have their. They're chances. a bit of a weird team. They've lost to Georgia twice, which Georgia just beat Missouri too. But yeah, yeah but Ole Miss I, has won four in a row. That includes a win against Tennessee. They beat Auburn in overtime. They crushed Missouri, and then they beat South Carolina. Maybe I'm downselling them a little bit, but you look at their schedule, Sean. They're probably talking about winning out. They got Mississippi State, Missouri, Vandy, and Kentucky left. I mean, they're probably yeah. thinking they're going to finish this year, you know, 13, 14, 16 and eight. So. Yeah, that looks like it might be a little tougher game than what I, I kind of scoffed well, at it when I looked. But still, I would think Kentucky top to bottom is still a Well, just a, when a you look roster. at the league standings and stuff, too, this is why I think that as a Kentucky fan, you shouldn't be scared when you go into Nashville in a couple of weeks because who's really great in the SEC? Who's Who looks unbeatable? Even Alabama looks beatable. Kentucky had a chance to beat them in Tuscaloosa. I mean, they're they're a team that if they're not shooting the ball well, you, that you know it's going to happen some night. Uh Put this way, Alabama absolutely destroyed LSU, and LSU is the third team in the league right now. Like that right there shows you just how how it is. Kentucky owned LSU for forty minutes, and they're the third best team yeah. in the league. Uh, just get into that tournament and make some noise and see what happens. Uh, but Kentucky has to do it first tonight at, at Vandy. And now we'll, if you want to, we'll get on into the Davion Mintz comments, uh, Derek. This is something that I I want to think that I don't remember when we mentioned it on here. I know I started talking about it in January a couple of times that I brought it up. I think you've brought it up too as well that uh, I can't remember which one of us first said it, but I was talking about if Davion Mintz would be interested in using that blanket waiver, if that is a an option that Kentucky would look at. And I think in December it w- we didn't even think, wow, it's not even going to be a topic. But now that you see the success that he's had at Kentucky. You you also see the need that Kentucky has in the backcourt, which I think is the biggest reason for this. I'm actually starting to wonder, Derek, that if if he will be at Kentucky. I'm actually going to lean and say I kind of think he might be at Kentucky next year. Yeah, I think it would be a good fit for for both sides to, to have that other year. I would say Davion, one, he's very close to finishing his Masters, which for anybody is a big deal. Um, and then two, you got to think at this point, maybe some crazy things will happen. We never know this this time. But 
you got to think he'll get more of a normal experience playing for Kentucky next year, the one that he you know thought he was probably signing up for when he committed to Kentucky last April. Um, and then on the Kentucky side, the way I'm kind of seeing this roster, I mean, Trevor Kills would be interesting. If they could add him. He'd be a big deal to have at the two. But I'm not seeing, unless you go at a transfer from somewhere else, I'm just not seeing too many surefire upgrades. And I, w- I would like to see them get to a spot next year. I was telling Kalen Harris this from the Cats game. We were talking the other day. I think for next year's roster, it's really important to get to a spot where Davion can be the sixth man and maybe even get to a spot where Askew can come off the bench. Although I don't think it would be a terrible thing if Askew still started. I just uh, I think if you could upgrade the roster to that point, you would really have something. But I like the idea of Mintz as a sixth man type next year, a sixth-year senior who has played in a lot of big games. Um, you know he'd be reliable. I mean, he'd be a, I mean, certainly a player capable of starting, but if you could get into that spot, I, I think it would be pretty appealing for him because um, I don't see – he's not an NBA guy. Uh, he's, he, he could probably probably play overseas if that's what he wants to do. But if you're in his spot, Sean, I, I'm not meaning to speak for Davion. I have no idea what he's actually thinking. But, like, you get that free year. If Kentucky's interested in you coming back, I got to think that option to me anyway would still sound more appealing because I got to think – the overseas option will still be there a year from now. Yeah, it will be. And I, I just think, too, just the need that they have in the backcourt. The front court's kind of taking care of itself. If if Keon Brooks comes back, Jacob Toppin's back, and Lance Ware to go with Oscar, then Damian Collins, I mean, you can kind of already see that that front court's probably going to be one of the better ones in college basketball, yeah. in my opinion. It's the backcourt to where we're sitting here wondering if this team, obviously they're going to be better. Derek than what they are this year but we've had some discussions on here that it doesn't just necessarily mean that they're going to be a final four contender next year just because of the calendar changes but right. the backcourt's the biggest reason for that question we've that's why we've talked about it and Davion Mintz isn't like an all-american like he's not that level of a player or an NBA draft pick but if you can add him to your roster to go with the experience that Keon Brooks has to go with the experience that Oscar has I mean, that alone blended in with the Jacob Toppins, the Devin Askews, and all those bodies that we talk about. That kind of points you in the right direction. I mean, then you start to think, okay, maybe – and you asked me this question the other night. You said, how many wins does Kentucky – how did you ask me? How many wins do you think Kentucky has next year? Yeah, regular season. And I, I said what? 23, 23 to 25. 23 to 25. Which and then I said, yeah, you put, that puts you in contention for a top-four seed. In whatever region, and then you're in you're in contention to win a championship if you get the right draw and you get you break free. Uh, not to say that they can't get the 26, 27, 28 wins. I mean, if something plays out in their favor, these guys improve or they get a surprise commitment from somebody, mm-hmm. it obviously changes. But I think it starts with the backcourt and it starts with Davion Mintz. If Davion Mintz is on that team, Derek, I feel a lot better about Kentucky. If he's not, and they don't land kills or someone like that, I'd start to think maybe it's 19 to 20 wins. Where I think Cal and the coaching staff, I think they got to get this roster, and I wanted to hear your thoughts on this. A scenario that you had Hickman, like do you see any kind of scenario where it might be Hickman, um, Askew, and Mintz? Or do you think they'll get the roster through either adding another high school or through a transfer? Like, I guess how would you feel if that was – I'll define that as the worst case scenario is that it has to be three guys that you 
you know, or already know who are going to be coming in. Like, that's not having to add any kind of transfers or anything. If you had those three guys plus Keon and Sheboy, like, what would you think about that kind of team? Roster starting uh, by. I mean, it's not as strong on the perimeter. Obviously, I would feel much better if, if Davion Mintz is in that mix. If it's just Devin Askew and Nolan Hickman, then I don't feel as strong. But if that's the case, then I think Sky Clark's at Kentucky. I think whatever happens with Davion Mintz, we always thought it was going to be Devin Askew yeah. that impacted whether Scott Clark was going to be 21 or 22, Derek. I actually think it's the Mintz decision that's going to impact it. And for the program, I think it's better if Davion Mintz is at Kentucky next year than than Scott Clark because then you can kind of have your piece in 22 that you're already building around and just keep it that way. Yeah, because like in 22, you could still have a scenario where Fickman came back for a second year Unless Askew makes huge strides, you got to think he'll be back for a junior season, and then you can still add Sky in, and it seems like a much more uh, natural fit to have it that way. I, I just think I, I would like to see. I, I got a feeling it's going to be Hickman. I think he's going to have every chance in the world to, to earn the starting point guard spot. And if, if Mintz comes back, because that's what I was talking to Kalen about, he, he was most concerned about point guard play. I just think the numbers, though, if Mintz comes back, I just can't imagine they're going to add a grad transfer point guard or regular transfer point guard or high schooler. If you already have a guy like Hickman, you had a guy like Askew who plays basically 30 minutes a game at point guard this year anyway. He might not be your future at that position. And then Mintz as well, who has been a starting point guard in the Big East and can play it if he needs to. I just think with those three guys there, the main emphasis would be adding a, a two guard or a three. Yeah. And, I mean, that kind of gets me to Terrence Clark. Like, just the nature of Kentucky basketball, we, we got to expect Clark ain't going to be here next year. No. But if there's any guy that it makes total sense to come back, it's the guy who hasn't played since December and is not a first-round projected pick. And, and there's a ton probably, of minutes available. Yeah, he would probably have 35 minutes a game for him next year. So we'll see what happens with that. I've not heard anything that would suggest he's planning to come back, which I know is crazy. I, I guess to flip it the other way, I've not heard anything that just says he's absolutely gone either. Uh, maybe other people have. I haven't heard that. He's the one that I think it would make a lot of sense to at least consider it, but you know how it is with this. So that's where kills is really interesting. I was reading, um, I believe it was from Eric Bossy this morning at 24-7. He still has his crystal ball. So like basically, I'll say this, 24-7 has a big push right now for crystal ball picks for both football and basketball. And if for some reason you don't know what the crystal ball is, it's just projections for where kids will go to college or if they're going to go the pro route. He still has his pick on Duke for Trevor Kills, but he, he kept saying that, and I agree with him, that something about Kentucky getting in this late when that kid had a top three for so long makes you think that Cal feels good. Yeah, absolutely. Adding that guy. And that's kind of come. That's kind of becoming the guy that you kind of think that they that might emerge and be the guy that they get. Yeah. That's, that's on Certainly the only end of things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I think that's the, the guy that they're kind of targeting here in the next month or so that they want to add. Uh, which makes sense when you look at the roster and the way it's kind of laid out for next year. That's the piece that you need. You need a shooter. You need somebody that's an elite scorer. And when you turn on his tape, you mentioned that to me last night. It, it they, I agree with you 100%. They've not really had anybody like him, Derek. When you, I don't even know who to compare him to when I watch his tape. Yeah, he's like a six-five. So Cal, you know. Well, I shouldn't say all the time. I mean, Cal's had – he's had all kinds of shooting guards, really. I mean, you had the guys like Duran. Like, I would say Lamb is the closest comp in terms of how he plays, but he's much bigger, I think, and stronger than Duran Lamb was. But, like, you know, Cal's had the guys like Malik Monk who are 6'3", but ultra-athletic. I mean, you got a guy like Boston this year who's 6'7", very skinny. Like, 
this is a kid who's you know, pretty physically built, seems to be able to score. You know, he, he's not going to rely on getting another rim a ton, I think, just from what I can tell. And I'm no scout, but just from looking at it, like he can score in different ways. I think you would expect him to be a pretty good shooter. Just different, I think, from what Boston and Clark were this year. He, he's interesting to me. I'd like to see him more. It might be a good idea for us to actually try to track down somebody who's watched him play a little bit more. And that, that's if it gets serious with Kentucky, which sounds like it might if they're getting involved uh, to this point. But I think they definitely need somebody else on the wing, whether it's – I mean, shoot, I try to get kills either way, no matter who you're – I think that kid's – you know, you need someone like that anyway, I think. But even if you could convince – like what if you could get it to a spot where even if Askew's back at the point, you get kills and Clark – you know, I'm trying to think best case scenario for next year. Well, whoever it is, a point guard. If you can have Clark, Kills, uh, Brooks, Sheboy, Collins, you know, all these guys are talking about. I think then you can get to a point where you can feel really comfortable how strong of a roster it could be next year. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's projecting a lot right there. I mean, there would be a lot that would have to happen in Kentucky's favor to get to that point. Well, I think it's going to be somewhere between that best case scenario that I just mentioned and then the scenario where – Mint and Askew still both end up in the starting lineup. Like I think they're going to add somebody to where at least one of those guys can come off the bench. Yeah, and then then we still have Bryce Hopkins, who we've not talked about, who you kind of just yeah. circle as we really don't know exactly how he fits into this right now. I think that's fair. I mentioned Dante at all either, which I don't think I just don't think Dante's going to be like I like Dante coming off the bench again next year, maybe playing a similar role as this season. I, I want to see how he improves though over the off season. All these yeah. guys really, but especially him. One thing, too, I want to bring up to you. Did you see the the analytics and statistics that Hoops Insight put out last night? Yes, I did. I want, to, I want to talk about that. So they put out in the last five minutes of Kentucky's conference games, Kentucky's hit 42% of three, so they're 13 of 31, 71% of shots in the paint, 22 of 31, and 7% of mid-range shots, 2 of 27. They've taken 27 mid-range jumpers to 31 threes, and it's 42% to 7%. I mean, it backs it up that Kentucky takes way too many long twos, right? Yeah, I saw and that. they don't hit enough created, of them. Yeah, that created a firestorm on the Internet this morning, at least in Kentucky Twitter, from what I saw. I, I didn't have any strong, like, I know modern day tells you to shoot threes and to get, like, basically how Alabama plays. As you look at their shot chart, we talked about it on here. People have probably seen it on Twitter. You know, I don't know if Alabama's taking 27 mid-range shots the whole season. Or uh, or the whole time Oates has been there. I mean, I know Kentucky. How many games was that? The last few. How many games? Uh, that was all of SEC play. So how many games did they played? Uh, they played twelve league games. Thirteen, I think. Thirteen, yeah. Five and eight, yeah. So are they five and eight in league play? Oh, sorry, I was on Auburn's. I was on Auburn's. You're, you're right. Yeah, you're right. They're five and seven. Sorry, I was on Auburn's page. Well, that was throwing me off because I was like, okay, now, never mind. They don't have a chance to get <laughs> to four or five. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, I was, that was like, hold on, maybe I need to backtrack. So yeah, you're right. They're twelve games. So they've taken. Uh, I, I guess what I would need to ask you, because you follow this a little closer than I, because there are people trying to talk about the sample size and. Uh, that maybe some other offensive problems were leading to them needing to take so many. So I guess my question to you is, is that a symptom of a bigger problem on offense that they can't get the shots that they want, or is that a designed look for this offense that Cal wants them taking? I do think that it's – I do think it comes down to that they don't have the guys that get the shots that they want. They don't have the guard that just gets to the rim 
when they can space it out or flatten it out. They don't have a true post presence that they can just go post on the block and get a touch in the paint. Um, I, I think it is kind of just what it is. Uh, to me, though, looking at that, they need to shoot more threes. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm fine with now. it. Yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. fine with it. Shoot shoot 10 more threes a game. If you hit two or three of them, then the way that they shoot from two, it's not going to – it's probably going to actually be more points. Well, the way Mintz shoots it, I think Askey will shoot it fine. He doesn't take a ton. But uh, I, I trust Mintz – or, sorry, I trust Askey more taking a three right now than I do him driving to his left side and trying to put it up with his right hand and get blocked every time. Uh, and then BJ's hitting his shots, and Star steps out and hits him. Keon can hit him every now and then. Like, it's not a great three-point shooting team, but – Looking at those numbers, you're, like like you're saying, whenever Cal's teams typically have had guys who you can just get it down on the block and they can get you a bucket or they can get a putback, things like that. This team hasn't been as strong in that area. So that will be something to watch these last five games. And I, I think you already started to see it a little bit. I mean, some really quick shots on the shot clock, transition threes. I can remember Mintz taking a few last game. The, the game-winning three that he hit against Auburn was uh, very early in the shot clock as well, and he was there and he – was open and he knocked it down. So that was an interesting stat you brought up because it, I mean, clearly the numbers would show that like it's that's horrific. Like two for twenty-seven, and there are already shots like you already got people who don't like mid-range jumpers anyway. And then you add in the fact that Kentucky's shooting that bad, um, it was sure to to bring up some discussion today. So did, I'm did, glad you brought that up. Did you see that uh, Oscar? hit the half-court shot during the shoot-around today at Vandy. Oh, no, I didn't see that. And here's the one thing I'm going to say about it. This is a guy who just started practice this week, right? So he's not even practiced at the craft center with the team. So he's been in Nashville with them since. So he he traveled with them. The one thing that I want to say about it is this is a guy who's not been around these guys very long, Derek, and they already seem to really love him, and they're having a good time, which is a very good sign to me that he fits in well. Uh, I saw Kyle Tucker just now said that I guarantee you nobody will be complaining about throwing the ball to the five man at half court next year, late in the clock, <laughs> considering he just drilled it from half court. But uh, I don't know why, Derek. This is going to sound really stupid. But I'm I'm actually starting to get on this train that this team might end up making some noise in Nashville in a couple of weeks. <laughs> is it maybe I should reserve that till after tonight and maybe a couple more games, but. Why am I starting I mean, to get sucked into it now that it's getting close to March that I think that this team's magically going to start playing better? It's just tough with um, – I think it's just tough if you're a fan to really let yourself get – because they're at a spot where it's not like you go to Nashville and if you win a game or two, you improve your seating and you feel better. Like, it's all or nothing when you get down there. And I was saying in the group text the other day of some of the other riders that knowing how this season's gone, like their most likely outcome's going to be that <laughs> – going to Nashville, making it through, getting to the championship game, and then losing in the most heartbreaking way possible, uh, given how, how things have played out for this team. But I'll, I want to see this five-game stretch. Let's let's kind of see where they are a few weeks from now uh, when they go down there. And, you know, you get into a scenario like that, though, who knows? I mean, I know they're putting everything that they have into it, so I think they're going to be a tough out for sure. I'd be surprised if they went down there and whatever game they play, that might end up being their last. If it's not a close game, that would really surprise me. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely think that Kentucky's certainly going to have a chance. Um, Derek, we want to just jump on here today and just talk a little bit about that, uh, talk a little bit about Davion Mintz and everything else that's kind of going on in the program. I know things have kind of it, – it's been they've been slower this year because we've not had the normal college basketball experience to where we kind of break everything down, where we have in-person media sessions where you can kind of read body language a little better and all this stuff. Um, but we've made it this far. 
We're to the point that the SEC tournament's just around the corner. I'm sure that we're going to do a lot of talk over the next couple of weeks about college basketball as a whole as we get into the conference tournaments and stuff. I mean, I can't believe that we've made it this far, honestly. Uh, the, the women's basketball team was a four seed in the bracket reveal. And then, uh, obviously, there's another big topic that's going around the state of Kentucky right now, too, that I can't believe that I'm just now getting to. This was actually supposed to be probably, what, 20 minutes ago in this podcast. <laughs> but there's a guy, Derek, by the name of Reed Shepard. And... He's going to break the fan base, I think. Yes. Uh, the fan the fan base should know the last name Shepard automatically. His dad, Jeff Shepard, 1998 NCAA tournament MVP. Uh, with Kentucky beat Utah. His mom, uh, Stacy Reed, was also a really, really good basketball player, one of the best in the women's basketball program history. I've been talking to you about Reed Shepard for a while now. I've been writing about Reed Shepard for what seems like a year and a half because if you just put his name on the internet, it's like people go crazy over it. Uh, a local product from the, an area where we're from, like 606 area code right there at North Laurel. Derek, he's becoming one of the top basketball prospects in his class, and I think he has potential if things return to normal and he gets the normal exposure that he would get during the summer. This is a kid who could climb to five-star status. Yeah, he's you know the big news the other day is a lot of it has been early in his high school season this year, you know, month or two, probably probably within the last month or so, six weeks. Uh, he's had what? Th- has he had three fifty-point games this year as a sophomore or two? Had forty-eight-point game and then he had fifty and fifty-four, so pretty he had much a couple triple doubles, I think, at least one triple double. I know he, he dropped over fifty on my Redhounds uh, at Corbin, so. He he has been out there, and there's been talk, you know, what's Cal going to do? And I think people are very, like, eager to to kind of find out what's going to happen. But we found out, uh, I believe it was on the – maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong. I think it was on the Cameron Mills radio show maybe. He had Jeff on. It Cameron was. Mills did. And he confirmed that as of now all the recruiting because of the restrictions or whatever, the, the rules that college coaches, I guess, can't directly reach out to the kids, but they went through his high school coach, and I do not know that man's name at North Laurel, their high school coach. But basically, the main point that matters to people is that Jeff confirmed that Kentucky has at least reached out. And he's on Kentucky's radar. I mean, keep in mind, this is a 2023 kid. And outside of Dewan Wagner, uh, his son, who's going to be the number one player, most likely coming to Kentucky, like you've not heard too much about that class. The way Kentucky operates, that's like an eternity away. I mean, they just now offer Trevor Kills, who's going to sign here in a few months, and he's in, you know, a five-star in his own class for 21. But it does feel like, Sean, that uh, it's got a chance to be really interesting because the, way, the, the whole Dante situation this year and people upset that, you know, Cal has maybe favored playing guys like B.J. Boston as opposed to giving Dante Allen a chance earlier, kind of how it fits in. I mean, I still think it's too early to really know what Reed is, you know what I mean? Because he's got one Power 5 offer so far from Iowa. I mean, he's just a sophomore. I think that's certainly going to grow, but he's not been on the summer circuit. I think, you know, he's not been like on the EYBL level, right? I know he's played summer ball. He's not. He he plays – he's a teammate of Keon Brooks, younger brother, Darren Darren Brooks, uh, with the Indy Heat. Uh, And I watched a lot of the live streams. But his offers outside of Iowa all have connections to him. Yeah, it's Rick Patino at Iona. It's uh, Richie Riley at South Alabama. 
it's um, Tubby Smith, Tubby Smith High at High Point, and then Stetson's in there too. But the Iowa one was the big one that came out of nowhere. You sent it to me, the tweet, a few weeks ago, and I'm sitting here thinking, okay, it's starting to blow up now. But the difference in him and all these other names, the Dante Allens and the situations that we're talking about now, is this is a legacy recruit. This right. is a kid whose father and mother were stars at UK, whose whose father was the MVP of a Final Four run on two national championship teams, is probably the most successful run the program's had, considering they won two national championships in those in that three year span. Uh, but when you look at it, it's I even said it a week ago. I would be extremely disappointed if the kid's not at Kentucky, and. Not yeah. just not from a fan a standpoint, but just from I want to watch him play at Kentucky because it's weird how he looks just like his dad when he dunks. It's the craziest thing I've ever seen. They both cross their ankles when they dunk. The biggest chuckle I've gotten out of this so far, and we've just got a few minutes left, um, a lot of people apparently know whether Reed's going to come here or not, whether Jeff Shepard hates Cal, whether Cal hates Shepard. It seems like everybody has an opinion, and everybody knows uh, what's going to happen. I can't imagine. I think Jeff might have said this on Cameron's show. I can't imagine that Reed this is his dream to grow. I don't know what Reed's dream was. I would think Reed, one, being from Corbin, knowing how that area is, it's like 99% pro-UK. Uh, if he has his dad and his mom. Both were very good basketball players at Kentucky. I can't imagine he grew up dreaming of playing anywhere else. Does that mean he's going to come to Kentucky? I have no idea. Um, but I can't imagine that some petty – feud from eight years ago or whatever about how Jeff Shepard viewed how Kentucky was running the program under Cal versus his kid being recruited. Like, I just don't think the same dynamics are going to be in play there. Um, it's going to be, it's going to be fun to follow. I, I got a thing if he, I mean, as a sophomore, like I know, I know Dante Allen put up some huge numbers a senior year averaged over 40 or whatever, like Reed doing this as a sophomore though. I mean, I, I got to think he's going to be good enough. I don't know that he's going to be, able, you know, the five-star one-and-done caliber. I think it's too early to know about that, but I think he's going to be a kid certainly talented enough to play at Kentucky, and if he wants that opportunity, I think it's going to be presented to him. I don't know that for sure. He He's probably going to be the most closely followed kid, though, in-state for, Lord, I don't even know how long. I mean, Dante came on late, right? I mean, I think Dante's yeah. recruitment, once Kentucky offered, did not last very this, long. This will be the hottest name in Kentucky basketball in-state recruiting in a long time. Oh yeah, it probably goes back to what the Rex Chapman days. Richie, Richie and Rex. Yeah, I'm, I'm assuming that, and this is, I mean, it's just. I can't even think of it. Like, like Derek Willis and Dominique Hawkins. Like Dominique, I don't. Once he blew up at the state tournament, there was a lot of talk about him. But at the same time, Kentucky he already has six five stars. The hype that this has. Reed's gonna have, yeah, and it's, it's, it's just the whole time. connection to Kentucky. The connection to Final Fours and national championships, and his mom played there. It would just—I uh, don't know. Like it would just—I be... would—I would think if you're a rival recruiter and Kentucky offers him at some point, I gotta think unless something is just out there that we just do not know about, I gotta think you're facing a very uphill battle recruiting you that are. kid if he gets an offer from UK. You are, but that's what. There will be we... plenty of time to talk about him over the next few oh. years. Just, oh yeah, just a sophomore. So. And, and you know when we when we make it out to the Butcher's Pub at their London location, maybe one day we'll have Reed Shepard if he is a future Kentucky Wildcat. Maybe he can meet us at the pub as well, and we can do an interview with him right there, right down the street from North Laurel. North Laurel. But the Butcher's Pub they currently have two locations, Derek, one in Palmville, one in Williamsburg, a third one coming next month to London. 
Today is Wing Wednesday at the pub, so make it out for that. You can visit thebutcherspub.com or you can check them out on Facebook. We'll be back to recap whatever happens in Nashville tonight. He's Derek Terry. I'm Sean Smith. We'll catch you next time on Kentucky Daily.